right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, happy June 6th, Sunday, and it's a great honor to introduce somebody who's a dear friend, who has a family of service, and somebody who also serves as the First Lady of the great city of Newark, Brick City, Linda Juma Baraka. Hey, Linda. Hi, Governor. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you so much. So, Linda, can you just tell a little bit about yourself and where you grew up and a little bit about your family, your traditions and school and whatever? Yeah, definitely. So I'm a Newark 100% young lady. I was born in Newark. My parents originally migrated from Ghana, West Africa. Um, they've been here since the eight, I don't know, prior to the eighties, maybe about the seventies, but I'm a Newark girl at heart. So I share my love between Newark and Ghana. <laughs> That's great. And what, what did you learn about your parents about Ghana? What, what's special about Ghanaian traditions, um, culture, language, customs? Yeah, I mean, Ghana, number one, is the first country in Africa to receive its independence in 1957 um, through our great former president, President Kwame Nkrumah. It's the Gold Coast, land of gold, a uh, lot of traditions, Ashanti culture, the mm. great food, a friendly people. So Ghana is definitely the place to be. So, Governor, we have to get you there. <laughs> exactly. That was coming. Exactly. Oh, I want that. And so does Jacqueline. Tell me just a little bit about Ghana was also in terms of America was also I remember what the, the mayor told me was the post of which many individuals took middle passage um, as prospective slaves to the to the new world to the United States. And there's a there's a place actually that commemorates um, that that spot in those transactions isn't there. Yeah, definitely. Unfortunately, in our history as African-Americans and Africans, uh, we went through the slave trade and one of the ports is located in Ghana. So they have um, Elmina Castle uh, and Cape Coast Castle there. So one of the ways which people came to the United States is through the port there. Yeah. And how does that play into an understanding of passage of being Ghanaian-American? What reflection does that bring to you? I think definitely it reminds me that we're all one people, right? Like we came from the same places, whether it's Ghana, Nigeria, whatever the country was where we started from, but we're here now, we're all together. And that's our basis of history. Ghana in 2019 launched their year of return. Yep. Where they opened up the uh, borders, right? For people to come and visit and find out their history, learn their history and welcome them back home. Yeah, and that must've been significant. No, definitely. And I think that it boosts their tourism, but also allow people to have yes. a sense of home and place. Because prior to that, right, like if you're just here in America, there was ne not necessarily a sense of place in Africa for you. And I think Ghana opened the doors for that. I think that's really rich because then people begin to identify culturally and historically. And to make that connection is so powerful. Definitely. definitely. And I think that that was a welcome development. And that was, I remember 2019, and that was a major push internationally and throughout the United States. Tell me a little bit about your parents. And uh, I they, love your mother. They're wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. So my father uh, and my mom came here in the 70s to pursue their education. My father went back because he really loves politics and he loves his country. And so he's there. My mom is retired now. My father is a former min member of parliament, former mayor of one of the largest cities in Ghana. And, and now he's currently the director of Jihak Distilleries, which is the uh, alcohol distilleries for the country. 
Yep. And, and mom's retired and taking care of my little baby every day. So I'm so grateful for that. That's the <laughs> most important job right now. Exactly. Take it, tell me a little bit about your son's name and what does it mean? Oh, Jua. That's definitely what it is. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's sunshine, right? His fierce son. It's his dad's middle name, Raj Jua. And so he's Jua, Nyamiche, God's gift. And so we like to say he's God's gift of son for us. Amen. And was that important? I mean, in terms of language, um, Jua, why, why those words? Why the language? Yeah, definitely. We wanted to, like you said, maintain our history, our culture, um, and incorporate our culture into his name, right? And instead of giving him like a European name, we wanted to give him something that was our own culture. Culture. And, and when you were married, um, and particularly the ceremony at the Newark Museum, could you talk a little bit about the drums, the culture, the food? Yeah, so that was really important to us, right? Like we're both Newark natives. Newark is uh, definitely a part of our heart. And for us to incorporate the Ghanaian culture into that was definitely something without a doubt that we wanted to do. And so we did a traditional Ghanaian Ashanti wedding ceremony with um, Adwa dancers, traditional drummers, kente cloth, which is the cloth of the Ashanti people of the country, sure. handmade um, cloth. And so we, and then we also incorporated African-American culture. So we did like a jump in the broom ceremony there. Yeah, yeah. And so when you think of like cultures in Africa, I mean, I think a lot of Americans are probably ignorant as to tribal, tribal distinctions. And, you know, what's the difference in terms of the Mara Plains? What's the difference in terms of the Ashanti? How do people understand tribal relationships, tribal kinship today in Africa, as opposed to national boundaries? Yeah, I think it's important for people to study, learn, read as much as possible. Uh, like in Ghana alone, there's so many different uh, cultures, tribes. And so you can't just say like, oh, African culture, there's no such thing as African There's culture. no such thing, yeah. And so like we, it's easier to say like, oh, Ghanaian culture, but really what I'm saying is Ashanti culture or yeah. Ghana culture or Airway culture in Nigeria, Yoruba or Igbo culture. Those yeah. Swahili. My, my, my roommate in college was from Nigerian. And so yeah. like I, you, you learn the difference, you learn, I can actually tell by somebody's last name. Yes, exactly. Yeah. exactly. What, like, what did, so when you when you think of Ashante, Ashante culture, what stands out in your mind as the virtues of the Ashante culture? Yes. What do you think is transmitted generationally? Royalty, uh, loyalty, uh, pride, definitely, and confidence are definitely some of the things that stand out for me when I think of Ashanti culture. Yeah, and that's fantastic that your parents both have transmitted those values to you. Um, so, you know, you're really devoted to um, the women, and I just want to say thank you for your leadership role in terms of the commission and in terms of women's reentry, and and thank you, Linda. So, one of your driving passions is work, 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 work. Can you just tell me why is work? I mean, it, it may be a, a, a simplistic question, but why is work so important to you? Why is the ability of people to work so important to you? Yeah, so uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to work with uh, New Jersey Reentry for oh. the commission, the Women's Project. Uh, it's definitely something that I didn't know that I wanted to do, right? Because you have a very persuasive way of getting people involved in things. 
And so initially when I first got on board, right, I was just like, oh, the governor asked me, I'm going to do it because the governor asked me. But in speaking to the ladies, thinking about my own story and people who I know personally, um, it's definitely become like a passion project for me. And employment, regardless of whether or not you're in re-entry or wherever you are, employment is a key cornerstone of, of your livelihood, right? You have, you'll be able to take care of your family, have housing, be able to afford groceries, healthcare, all of those things are tied to employment because um, where else would you have money, right? If, you, if you're not employed yeah. or self-employed. And so employment kind of is the cornerstone of all those other things for me. And so for the re-entry population, I know that it's, extra hard, double hard for them to gain uh, gainful employment. And so for people, if it's hard to find gainful employment for regular people who don't have uh, these criminal backgrounds or histories. And so I know for this population, population is extra hard for them. And mm -hmm. then in addition to that, it also kind of reduces recidivism with this population. Yeah, sure. If you're able to take care of yourself and your family, um, you would less likely be involved in your background. So when, when you look and when you when you talk about the women and you've talked to a lot of the women and I, I'm just really grateful for you also this past summer you interviewed a lot of the women and spent time with them and talking to them. What is it about their story that that strikes you? Is there something that that you see as a common element? Is that fair? Can you draw a common element or are their stories so unique? But what is something that resonates with you personally? In the sense that, like, what do you walk away from these women when you talk to them? I mean, whether it's their suffering, whether it's their pain, what speaks to you as a human being? Yeah, I think for um, mostly is that people deserve a second chance, um, regardless of what, what it is that you've done, right? And I say that, you know, not knowing everyone's background, but people deserve a second chance. And if you've shown that, you're willing to move forward and the rest of the world should move forward with you and provide opportunities where you can move forward. Yeah, and, and in terms of healthcare for the women, I mean, that's one of the real areas that I think a lot of the women were, were suffering and just in terms of primary care, specialty care, reproductive care, OBGYN. Um, what struck you about their stories in terms of the lack of healthcare, Linda? Yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, I'm sorry. A lot of the women, because of the situation, because they were incarcerated, they had not seen a doctor in years, right? Some of the things that we take for granted as people who are out, right? Like normally living our lives, we go see our primary, we go see our gynecologist, yeah. the therapist, these things are available to you. And just imagine being in prison for five years and not being able to see a GYN or not having access to a primary just to let you know that everything's okay with you. And so those are some of the things that kind of stuck out. And then one of the other things is that a lot of ladies really asked for support and services uh, once they re-entered into society and they just didn't kind of um, know how to get access. Yeah. It just seems like when they were coming out, they were a little bit overwhelmed by all the things we do. Yeah, and I, I really want to thank you and Alasia for being, helping these people, these women navigate and a lot of them also suffered trauma. I mean, like the sexual abuse, the domestic violence, the addiction, it seemed like that was a constant theme uh, in their lives, which was really painful. Yeah, I mean, even prior to that, right? Like the whole process is traumatic, right? Like going to trial, having to be on probation, 
being separated from your family, that whole process in itself is traumatic. Yeah, and these women, I mean, it's, it's also combined with a lot of them, I got the sense, substance abuse wasn't a lark, substance abuse for many of the women that you and I work with was a means, if you will, almost of a, is it fair to say, almost like a coping mechanism, almost to get them through it? Does that make sense? Yeah, because it was just it was just so painful that they needed to be able to to move. So could you tell me a little bit about I mean, when you walk away, when you, and you hear about some of these women, the, the depression, the anxiety, how do how do we cope with how do we help to provide? I mean, you're doing this whole circle of care initiative with Dr. Chris Burnell and Dr. Bachman. But how do we care for the depression, the anxiety, the the, the mental illness, the struggles that many of these women confront. I mean, yeah. do you have- the care is number one, right? Letting the ladies know what type of care is available. And sometimes you don't know what type of care you need. And so having someone to be able to sit down with you and speak, talk to you and walk you through that process is also really important. Yeah. And that's where the role of the healthcare navigator and the circle of concern is. So the circle of concern is, you know, these doctors sitting with these women, with the women, and they're just sharing, right? So I, the, the other thing that I, I, I just, I, I get the sense is for a lot of the women, their intimate relationships have been a challenge. I mean, understanding what's a healthy relationship, what's not a healthy relationship when they come home. And the other thing that I, I, I get the sense of is, for a lot of them, they're in pain because their children, in many cases, have just moved on. Like they, you know, they come back after seven years, and their children now identify with an aunt, a grandmother, or somebody else. Can you talk a little bit about the struggles of family reunification and why that's so hard, but why it's so important? Yeah, definitely. I think that, like, like I said, it's, it's a traumatic experience being involved in the process. And someone has to care for your kids. And I think more so for the women they experience this than the men um, who are being incarcerated. And so we have to find better ways to help women stay in connection with their children while they're away and sort of make the process easier for families to visit um, Amen. while they're while they're incarcerated. And that will help with the reunification and the connection while they're there. So if you were to design a system, if, if Linda Brock was to say, you know, I'm going to design the ideal system for maintaining unification between mothers and children, how frequency would those, how frequent would those visits be? Would they be once a week by, by computer? And I guess a, a simple question is like, why don't we have computers? Why don't we have televisits at Edna Mahan? Why aren't we doing, Linda? what seems to be to make such common sense. I mean, it's frustrating to me, in the name of corrections, there are no computers, there's no televisits. I mean, why does this happen in 2021? Yeah, I think one thing that the pandemic has taught us is that we can do from anywhere where we are. And so the technology part of it is really important. And so that will reduce in terms of like people having to travel hours to go visit their family members. And it, it will also increase the frequency of the visits, yep. uh, uh, technology part of it. But the in-person part is just as important. And so until we get the in-person part, I do agree that the technology is a good sub substitute. Yeah, and that it, like the Department of Corrections should be embracing it. Could I go a little bit back to jobs? So when you start thinking about jobs, I mean, one of the real challenges for a lot of our women 
is that they dropped out of high school. Um, they you know, were grappling with whether it's domestic violence, sexual abuse, addiction. And now we've opened this re-entry and Geraldine has been a part of that. Um, how important is training to help these women get back on their feet and, and to find productive opportunities? Um, so they're just not in a warehouse job for the next 60, 90, 120, 120 days. Yeah, I think that there's no like one one size fits all. And so that's what we've been doing for the past, like however many years, one size fits all. We give them a construction job, a job in yep. food service, but that's not for everybody. Some of these people, you know, have different skill levels. And so I, you know, I want to applaud you for opening the training training center with Wendy New. Thank you for that space. Well, thank you, Wendy. I'll tell her you said thank you. Thank you for that, because that was really a big part of it, right? To be able to provide this training center where they can learn different skills so that they can go after different jobs. Yeah, and, and just also in computer training as well, like what we're doing with Pastor Keith Davis at the Camden Dream Center. People learning networking, technology, routing, and, and all that good stuff, in addition to CDL or HVAC. So if you were to look at you know, and one of the things that you did, which was so helpful with, with LinkedIn, just helping these women feel good about themselves, helping these women create a resume. Like, I guess this is a simple point, but somebody has to actually teach you to do a resume. Somebody actually has to teach you to go through an interview. Isn't that important? No, definitely. And that's not just something that's limited to uh, re-entry, right? Like, people who don't have these issues still need assistance and mentorship and guidance in terms of like creating your profile, making sure that you have the best resume, prepare, helping to prepare you for your interview with human resources yep. to the next level. And so we just want to provide those same opportunities for the women who are um, involved with reentry. So how do you translate the experiences that these women had in prison how do you experience, how do you translate that into a resume? Is that easier to do? No, I, I think what's important is that like while they're there to make sure that they pick up some skills, make sure that you're reading and uh, taking as many courses, whatever they offer, so that when you come out, you have something to present and uh, show that you, you know, you made a good use, best use of your time in the way that you were able to, right? We know that the circumstances there are not, you know, uh, primary. Yeah. Are not like the best, but you know you want to make sure you make good use of your time while you're there. So my friend, our friend Rashida, just sent me a, a note that she's graduating from college, and I'm so proud of her. Um, and Rashida's she's amazing. Isn't it great? Amazing. Wow! Congratulations. I'll tell her you send your best, and she just sent me. It just sent it to me before, uh, on, on, you know, before we had the interview. So. How do we change people's thinking in the public about women? And how do we change people's thinking to say, like, we've all made mistakes. I know I've made mistakes in life. How, how do we change America's thinking about this issue? Yeah, I think it's important to, like, uh, give, like I said, give people second chances, uh, not put people in the background, allow them to, you know, show their skills, use their talents. Uh, for so long, right, like this, if you got in trouble, you were like relegated to the back of the room. Don't talk, don't speak, don't be seen. Amen. But these people, you know, people who were previously involved still have skills. They still have talents. They still have their whole lives to live. Yes, they made a mistake, but 
that's that doesn't define the rest of your life. That's your path. Yeah. It definitely has to be much greater. So we have to give people opportunities to shine. And so like we work with churches, nonprofits, uh, different coalitions. Is there, you know, and this was never a Republican or Democratic issue. Do, do you see, like, how do you break through on making America a more forgiving people? Because I, I would make the argument that if you give people opportunity in terms of training, in terms of housing, in terms of employment, second chances, you're actually going to bring them more fully as responsible taxpaying citizens. I mean, it seems to me it's common sense that second chance is as good a Republican as it is a Democratic initiative. No, definitely. It definitely has to be a bipartisan issue, right? Like, uh, if we think about it, like we've all, like you said, we've all made mistakes. Some of them just possibly did not rise to this level, or somebody probably gave you a second chance that didn't allow you to get to exactly. That, if you're yeah. honest, and so um, it does make sense for everyone, like you know, to have a forgiving heart but also to want to give people second chances and think about your own families think about your own children sometimes particularly on addiction on addiction and also on re-entry right like if we think yep. about, like how people police neighborhoods right some neighborhoods are more forgiven than others yeah so can i talk a little bit about your the mayor has a great program where raz will excuse me the mayor Barack will hire our guys and gals for six months at DPW. They get stabilized, they have housing, they have their Medicaid, they've got their prescription drugs, they're able to get their driver's license um, or their MVC ID. They're able to, to stabilize their child support payments. But it's, it's a great program because when people come out of prison, it's so often there's this chaos. And this six months, Linda, frankly, I, you know, I call it the Baraka model. It gets people stabilized. Um, and, you know, so the city of Newark isn't giving benefits, health benefits. We do that through Medicaid. The city of Newark isn't giving prescription benefits. We do that through Medicaid. Um, but I think it's a model that works. I think it's a model that helps people, you know, get on a platform, a trajectory to a stable, consistent, healthy environment. How do we convince more mayors of the need to do this? Yeah, I think Mayor Barack is doing a great job in the city of Newark. <laughs> he's well, and that's a totally impartial, objective uh, opinion. I mean, he's obviously one of the most progressive mayors in the country. And um, this program is one example of that. And so one of the things that uh, you can do to help other mayors see this is to show them the progress, right? The numbers. What does this actually mean? Yep. And the mayor's driven about results. That's what I love. He's like, he's always about like longitudinally, what does this do? I mean, does this result in a job? Does this result in a healthy work opportunity? Does this result in a long-term private sector paycheck? And that's what, I mean, that's what he looks on our, on our spreadsheets, which I love. No, definitely. And like you said, more people working is better for our city and better for our neighborhoods. So uh, just shifting a little bit from, from Linda Juma Baraka to Linda Baraka as First Lady, what's that like? Oh, it's a good experience. Uh, I'm really focusing on being a mom. This past week, we had a re no, I'm sorry, not a, re a Women's Day of Wellness conference on May 20th. That was our second one where we brought all the girls and women's organizations together to host a Women's Day of Wellness. That was something that we felt like we needed to do when the pandemic initially started, because being a mom, being a uh, working woman, 
taking care of your household, it became increasingly a lot, right? And I think for women, they took on the brunt of the work in the house. And so this Women's Day of Wellness became really important for us. And so that was one of the initiatives that we started. That's tremendous. And just as, you know, raising a son, taking care of a home, um, having your own professional career and working side by side, you have a unique understanding of the, the challenges that working women have. And as you said, during the course of the COVID, um, you know, it's, it's those lifetime challenges may actually have increased. Is that no, your sense? Definitely, definitely. I think for a lot of my friends who are in the same predicament, it became, it's a lot, right? Because you still, you still have to work. You still have to help your kids with their schoolwork. So you're like a teacher, you're the mom, you're the caretaker, you're the cleaning lady, you're the chef. Yep. It's a lot. It, it definitely became a lot. And it definitely increased the amount of awareness that people have for the amount of work that women do in the home. Yeah. I, I guess before we go, I just want to touch a little bit more on healthcare. Like when you think about our women and you think of hepatitis, you think of HIV AIDS, or you think of diabetes, you think of mental health care, you think of addiction. Um, you know, sort of I make up and I remember Loretta Weinberg talked about these issues years, decades ago, that so many of the women at Edna Mahan, um, they're in part broken because of their healthcare issues. Does that resonate with you from what you've heard from the women? Yeah, I think that the women, uh, they're definitely going through a lot. I think that the trauma of it, the trauma of the whole experience has taken a toll on them, uh, the lack of confidence, and then also the actual physical health part of this experience definitely takes a toll on the women. And I, I, I do believe that helping them get into different spaces will help the women, which is why I'm like a really big advocate for the employment piece, because being able to take care of your family instills a, cer a certain sense of pride for people and confidence and also being able to have access to healthcare, right? You know, having a primary healthcare physician, a GYN, a therapist, those type of things, I think definitely instill a sense of confidence with the women. Yeah, and, and thanks to your efforts, I mean, we're moving people into New Jersey family care, from New Jersey family care, um, through whether it's any of the private providers, Horizon, WellCare, Aetna United, and then the Affordable Care Act of President Obama that for working women that they can sustain their health care benefits, which is so important. Um, and then, you know, that people have access not only to primary health care, but to specialty care, whether it's cardiology or pulmonary or sexual reproductive freedom. The, the, I'm sorry. Yeah. So the, the last thing that I, I just wanted to get, get a sense for you is, is just, Linda, when, when you talk about trauma and you said something interesting before about trauma, how does be for the women that you've talked to and the women that you interviewed, my sense is that sort of prison itself, women's prison itself, Edna Mahan itself, sort of re-triggers so much trauma of the streets so much trauma of violence in themselves that, if you will, that prison traumatizes in and of itself. Is that, you know, when you spoke and you narrated so many of the stories of the women, was that your sense? Yeah, definitely. But I will also take it a step further and I will say like the entire justice system 
that begins with like um, the arrest, the court process, everything was traumatizing for the women. Uh, being able to have quality legal access, which, you know, the, the lack of quality legal access was um, traumatizing. And then of course, being in prison, uh, wherever they were, whether it was like locally. In the county jail. Exactly, or even the federal. It was yeah. just a traumatizing experience. All of it put together for the women. So when, when we're focusing on healthcare, we're focusing on the medical topics that we've covered. We're focusing in on, on jobs. You know, from, from your position as a leadership role in the commission, going forward, what do you want, what would you like to see the Women's Commission to be tackling? What is it that you think the women need to be doing? And where would you like, what, what would you like to see Edna Mahan or women's prison look like? You talked a little bit about, you know, the ability to see children, the ability to access computers, the ability for telemedicine. But if sort of, if Linda Baraka could have a vision for a women's prison, what would it look like? I think there wouldn't be a women's prison if that was my vision, but- Amen. One of the things I think that uh, we're doing, the healthcare committee is doing a great job. Uh, we talked about doing telemedicine. I think they're doing a great job. The employment committee, we're working on getting more corporations on board that are willing to give a second chance. We are also working with that. You just be, uh, opened the training center in Kearney, 25,000 square feet. That's amazing. But one of the things I would like to see in the long term is just a real conversation about the criminal justice system and providing access, legal, quality legal access for these people who don't necessarily have the funds to get a good attorney that can help them avoid these type of situations. Or even prior to that, uh, like if you're in certain neighborhoods, if you grew up a certain way, if you're a certain race, right? Like people are more willing to give you a second chance. And so chance. that's- Or a first chance. Yeah, that's the conversation that I think ultimately we need to get into is even prior to them getting into the prison, what are those uh, biases like? Yeah. Eliminate those biases. And how do we divert people away from the criminal justice system so that they don't get mired in the sticky paper of, I know for so many of our clients, they just can't get out of it once they get into it, whether it's parole or probation. And it's like, my God, I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to get a job and they're trying to show up but it's, it's, it, it doesn't stop. So the last thing is, I would just like you to say, what are you most thankful for from your mother, your father, for, for the mayor, for your son? Uh, individually? Yeah. I love your mother. What, what is the most thank, what did, what, did your mother, what did your mother teach you that most resonates with you? Yeah, uh, I think one, she's been a great grandmother and I love to see her in that role. I think she likes Joe more than she likes me. Um, you know, very like, uh, she was just a good mom altogether, right? She raised us to be respectful. Um, yeah. She she's old school too, your mom. Definitely. Education was very important to her. My father, I'm really thankful for him for showing me like the love of the community and I uh, wanted to give back to your community. That was really important to him. And then also like always being proud of your culture and sharing your culture with the world. The mayor, I'm thankful for him. He's a loving husband, loving father. I'm thankful for him for leading the city to where it is today. And his, Amen. his leadership just in the city of Newark 
just being there as the mayor during this time. We couldn't, I don't think that we would have been able to do this with any other leader. So I'm He's been extraordinary. And how about your son? What has he taught you? Or what are you grateful for? Patience, love. <laughs> patience. That's a mother's response, patience. Yeah, every morning learning something new, listening to him recite the words back to me, watching him navigate. He's so smart. He knows how to navigate the phone, the iPad, um, listening to him recite his ABCs and one, two, threes and things like that. I love it. I mean, that's just the greatest joy of a parent just to get to see your child grow up. And so I'm thankful for that. Great. And I just want to say, Linda, I think you're extraordinary. I just want to say thank you for the gift of you, your faith and your being and your family and all that you contribute. And particularly for the women of reentry, for women that don't have um, someone who possesses your vision for change and the gifts that you bring and the gifts of your persistence. <laughs> you're not always this nice. You're great. You keep us all on our toes and that I'm really profoundly grateful for. So, I mean, on behalf of um, Jim McGreevy, the second chances, I just want to say thank you to the first lady and more importantly, Linda Juma Baraka for the person she is, the loving heart that she is and how she's helping to change women's lives by providing them with basic services. So Linda, thanks so much. Thank you, Governor. All right, God bless. Happy Sunday. Thank you. Take care.